welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And we've got a great program for you today. How does God want to use you to have an impact? Most of us don't want to spend our lives being time wasters and space takers and binge watchers or game players. We want to be difference makers. But how do we do it? By revealing the way Jesus valued people, best-selling author Kyle Eidelman shows us the Jesus way of changing the world by loving people one at a time. Influencing just one person at a time may seem insignificant at first look, but as we better understand the surprising habits of Jesus, we unlock the power of small things done with great love and discover how God wants to use us to change the world one person at a time. Kyle Eidelman, the senior pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and the best-selling author of Not a Fan, as well as God's at War, The End of Me, Grace is Greater, and Don't Give Up. And he's here with us today to talk about his new book, One at a Time, The Unexpected Way God Wants to Use You to Change the World. Kyle Eidelman, welcome to the program, brother. Hey, man. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, now we have a mutual friend, a mutual agent, in fact, Don Gates. Yeah? Yeah. That's yeah. great. I, I think you are his first client. Is that is that correct? <laughs> yeah. So the story on that is, um, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago, he um, was he's a member of our church yeah. and he listened to me preach a series um, that ended up being the Not a Fan book. But he came and he said, hey, if you turn this into a book, I will sure try to help you get that published. And it kind of took all my excuses for writing off the table, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. uh, so he saw that potential before I did and um, came alongside and has been a great uh, partner in the gospel and and uh, has encouraged me along the way. That's great. And not a bad first client to have, Kyle Ottoman, I don't, I don't think, for, uh, <laughs> for Mr. Don. Um, I appreciate him because he, he was on uh, some, not a vacation, but he was like with, a, at a camp in New Hampshire with his family Yes, and, yeah. and drove all the way. I was pastoring in Vermont at the time and drove all the way into Vermont to have lunch with me and asked me if I had an agent, if I needed it. And, and I did have one, but I was actually in the market for a new one. And so the timing was very, uh, uh, it was a divine appointment, should we say. But I was yeah, just so but, impressed that he would come all that way and, and, and do yeah, that. He's but, got a pastor's heart, which is what I love. Yes. He, he is, uh, yeah. He certainly sure. does. Sure. Hey, um, let me jump right into this. Change the world. That's, I mean, that's the, the, Promise held out by the subtitle of your book here. Are you serious about this? We're going to change the world, brother. So, you know, what I'm trying to uh, tap into a little bit is what, you know, it's always been a, um, you know, a, something people care about and want to make a difference with their lives. But I think especially these days, you know, culturally with social media, we hear, hear the term influencer a lot. We tend to measure influence by how many and how much and, you know, how many followers do I have? And, in my YouTube channel and a podcast. And, um, you know, we tend to think of influence and, and world change uh, in terms of the crowds. And uh, what just struck me in the Gospels is how oftentimes when Jesus was surrounded by a crowd, he seemed to go out of his way to uh, take time for the one. And it um, just became more and more of a um, conviction of mine in ministry, especially that the the impact and, and influence that God wants me to have is not necessarily measured by you know the amount of followers or the number of people in the 
congregation, um, more books sold, but but rather the one story at a time. And um, and so what I believe is that the the church uh, has the power to change the world when the followers of Jesus embrace His way of influence and impact, which is you know, loving and caring for people one at a time. Yeah, I, I want to circle back to this in the context of your church as well. So I'm going to come back to that question because I think it's a it's a refreshing message coming from someone who pastors, what, the, the fifth largest church in America, something like that, 30,000 uh, people thereabouts you speak to every, every weekend. Um, and so to emphasize this one at a time message, I think is is refreshing and surprising. So I want to, I want to circle back to that. Um, I once had a pastor who used the um, the uh, moment in the Gospels where Jesus sees the crowd harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd as a model for leadership. And he, he said um, that Jesus saw them, that seeing is the first step to good leadership. And you say a very similar thing in this book where you say the two words Jesus saw precedes mm-hmm. most of the amazing things that he did in the Gospels. Why don't you explain the significance of that? What's the ex- significance of Jesus sees or Jesus saw? Yeah, so I I kind of stumbled onto that in a number of uh, gospel stories. I was actually doing a, a word study on compassion, and as I was studying the different places where uh, Jesus experienced compassion, I also noticed this correlation between Jesus saw, had compassion, and he did something. That there was this um, you know rhythm to that, and and so, uh, but what I discovered. More times than not, when he saw, it wasn't necessarily because he had an appointment or a meeting, you know, set up, right? Like there were a lot of distractions. He was typically on his way somewhere. Um, It wasn't it wasn't a planned, hey, today I'm going to see these people. It was um, as he was doing life, he saw and, you know, learning to 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 notice. and, And and for me, that didn't necessarily come very naturally. And, um, I, I, something I've really had to work on. It's had to become a, a, a pastoral prayer of mine. Um, you know, that Jesus helped me to see the, the people that I m- might more easily overlook. And, um, and, and so if you just look at that throughout scripture, we, we see that again and again, and then it, it you know, he didn't see people the way that others saw people. So, you know, an example of this is in, in Luke 8, uh, where the woman with the issue of blood comes to Jesus and he he sees her and then he refers to her as daughter, right? And so the the it's not just that he saw her, but he saw her differently. You know, he and, and wanting to see people through that gospel lens um, as as the driver as the reason I get up in the morning as a pastor uh, just became a, a more and more important to me as I studied studied that that was the practice of Jesus in the Gospels. Yeah, what I love about that scenario as well, the the woman with the bleeding issue, in, in the middle of Jairus, his concern about his daughter, Jesus yeah. to call this unclean woman, you know, who would be considered, you know, unclean, to call her daughter, that, that parallel there is so so sweet. Yeah. How else? So you mentioned pastoral prayer. How might yeah. those who are listening in, we have a lot of ministry leaders who listen, and what are some practices? What are some rhythms? What are some, you know, things well, to keep in mind to, to see well, you know? Yeah. Well, if you look at that, that's that same story, you know, there's this really beautiful um, phrase there about 
her, where Jesus is looking for her, trying to see who touched his cloak. And it says that um, when she realized she could not go unnoticed. And I love that, that um, she came to the conclusion that he's going to keep looking. And, and so, you know, to me, that is a helpful understanding of what it what's required of me to see. That is something that I, I need to, to work on. I need to uh, not give up on it. It is um, um, it's on me to start my day by, you know, thinking through, OK, who am I going to be around? What are the intersections in their life? Um, how can I, you know, love them? through um, being in, you know, intentional with my words or with a challenge or whatever it is. And I would say that for you know, most of my ministry life, I just let that stuff happen. I was more focused on the, uh, you know, the, the organizational leadership of some of that and, uh, or, or on my content, right? Like if I'm talking to a group, I'm more focused on what I'm saying to them rather than who I'm saying it to. And, um, and, and you just, again and again, Jesus was willing to change the direction of what he was going to be talking about based on who was there, what was happening, what the question might be, what's the need that uh, has to be addressed. And that just requires a different level of um uh, being spirit led where I'm, I'm praying my way through it. And then I don't, I want to be, I want to be able to go where that need is and, um, and to pay attention when, when someone comes into my path, um, that way. Yeah. You know, I used to see, um, because I'm an impatient person and, and, and (laughs) and really a self-involved person, (laughs) I used to see like interruptions as sort of impediments to the yeah. ministry, and then it was just sort of this mind shift, and then a constant kind of dying to self to see the the interruptions are the ministry, right? As people are coming right. in, you're thinking, you know, you're getting in the way of the ministry I'm trying to do to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be able to, <laughs> to see the interruption yeah, and, as the ministry. And, and you know, to be honest, this message for me came because I I got to a place of um, just people exhaustion. Uh, and I realized that that was why, you know, that I was I was just had the completely wrong perspective on on what ministry should be. So, you know, I began as a church planter in California and then I came to a church. It was a, a large church. And in California, as a church planter, I knew the people. I knew the stories. The one at a time approach to ministry came to me. I didn't have to work at it. Yeah. Like proximity was just part of the of the, of that call. You had to be around, you know, people who needed to be loved one at a time. When you come to a a larger church then suddenly you can, um, protect yourself from interruptions. You can, uh, uh, lose the availability. Um, you know, you take out that proximity with others. And, um, and so that's what I did without meaning to, I, I, I didn't do it on purpose, but, um, I, I lost that and spent more time in meetings, more time in my office, and just began to recognize uh, some, you know, ministry exhaustion, and couldn't quite put my finger on why that was. But this was the reason, right? Like I, I the what God had called me to do, um, I had put some walls up to protect me from, you know, some of that. But that's that's what gives energy. That's what was feeding my sermons and my passion. Um, and, and so, you know, beginning to 
change my approach. Um, I'll, I'll give you a few examples. Um, so in, on Sundays when I'm preaching, um, I used to kind of stand out in the, the, the lobby and welcome people and say hi to people. Um, and that became a little tiring for me. So I'd stay backstage some and I knew I needed to be with people. So one of the things I started doing is meeting with people, um, you know, before, after the service and in pastoral ways, you know, I thought it would be hard for me because when you're dealing with heavy things and messy situations, uh, before and after preaching that, that can seem, um, draining, but it, well, it was, it is, I was, when it was time to watch NFL football, I was drained, right? Like when I got home, but for preaching, it wasn't drained. Like it, it informs and inspires the, the, the preaching and the ministry in, in some unique ways. Yeah. Tell us about the, the in and through in and then through method. You talk about that in, in the book. What's that all about? Yeah. So, you know, as a younger man, you know, I, I wanted God to do things um, through me. That would have been, a, uh, you know, a common prayer of mine. God, what do you want to do through me? How do you want to use me to make a difference? Um, but I wasn't overly concerned about what God wanted to do in me. <laughs> you know, I wanted to uh, I wanted to have impact and influence. I wanted to make a difference. But I wanted to skip that part of it uh, or at least underestimate it. And and I just see this with, you know, interns and residents and, you know, college students who I love so much their heart uh, for wanting to change the world, wanting to have a you know, significant impact. But the, you know, the, the in and through way of God is, um, you know, is you, you can't you, you can't uh, take a shortcut around that. And and so just learning that the work that God wants to do through me, he, he needs to do in me first. And if I'm trying to if I'm trying to accomplish that work without the in part, then, you know, I'm setting myself up for burnout. I'm setting the people around me up for disappointment. Like and there's just no way to shortcut this like it. it it's spending time um, with God really prayerfully. Um, you know, living with confession and repentance and, and, um, that personal, that personal growth, leading yourself well so that you can lead others, um, is a hard, I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to do if you're always focused on through me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jesus is such a great example of this, uh, you know, in Mark chapter one, where, you know, it talks about how the crowds were, were gathered at the door. Um, you know, he goes off to a quiet place and he he prays. But what what comes out of that is then when the disciples come and they say, you know, what are you doing? Like, there's all these people with all of these expectations. And and uh, Jesus says, you know, let's go to some of these other towns to preach. That's why I've come. In other words, like the um, his mission was focused and clarified by that time. Um, uh, of cultivation with the father. And, and so, you know, if he needs that, then I definitely need that. Right. And, uh, and, and I think for me, a lot of that in and through happens while it's still dark. Uh, you know, it, it happens early in the morning. It, it happens in, in some of those quiet places. And, um, I love the heart of, of people who want to make a difference, but, but just embracing the in and then trusting God with the through 
is um, is a big deal. Is is this related to the concept of people's gifts outpacing their character, or you know, um, it, uh, there's different ways of phrasing it. But when when someone's character can't keep up with their gifting or with their ministry, yeah, um, is is this a similar dynamic? Is would this be an example of that? Yeah, I think so. I you know I know that I get into um, trouble quickly when I am. Well, for example, if I, I am preaching on marriage this past weekend, right? And if I'm wanting to, uh, I, you know, I wouldn't have paid close attention to this 20 years ago, but now I know as I'm working on that message and preparing that sermon, uh, I need to spend a lot of extra time and attention praying for my wife, focusing on my marriage. Um, if, I, if I'm going to get up and preach about that, um, then I cannot underestimate how important it is uh, to take the time to make sure my own life is in alignment with that. And and I just think, I mean, just being honest, as a young man, I just think I underestimated, I'm sure I still do to some extent, but I underestimated that big time. Like I felt like I could get away with it. I felt like, hey, I can preach this sermon. And even though there's these things over here that aren't quite aligned with it, you know, that's okay. I'll get there. And, um, and, and now I just more clearly understand that connection that you might get away with it for a while, but it won't, it, it catches up to you. And I think both of the principles that we've talked about go to why, you know, many people in, in ministry leadership struggle, right? They take away proximity and accessibility. Um, you, you can't talk to them uh, or get to them or have conversations with them. You, they're not praying for, for people. They're not involved in messes, messy situations. They stop making hospital calls and, you know, doing. And, and then if you combine that with a ne- neglecting of the in, because you're so focused on the production of the through, you know, always, always working on producing some content or, uh, you know, working on your next uh, you know, public moment. I mean that that combination of 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 losing proximity and not focusing on um, the in what God's doing in you. As uh, I mean, it's not sustainable, um, and and something something will give way. You know, don't you find out eventually if you're in it for the um, for the transformation that the gospel brings, or whether you're in it for some other kind of validation and what, you know, the intimacy that you have with Christ, right, is, is the validation, is the, not just the fuel for the ministry, but the, um, the center of, of the ministry that you're ministering kind of from who you are and not just what you do, I suppose. The, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, and I really think that this is what Jesus is driving at in John 15 when he, you know, says, I'm the vine, uh, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you will bear nothing. You know, to me, the the primary job description, you know, for those disciples was to to be the branch, to stay connected to the vine. And, you know, you can you can study best practices of influencers and you can uh, learn a lot of good leadership principles. But, you know, apart from him, you can nothing. So staying connected to the vine is is uh, job number one. Yeah. Let me ask you, brother, just on, on a personal level, how do you so. I know when you came to Southeast Christian, it was a large church, but it has grown tremendously. How do you 
to stay in that in that channel with a church that has grown tremendously so and with a with a successful ministry how do you i mean you mentioned hospital visits you mentioned um you know just the the nitty-gritty of pastoral ministry how do you stay in touch with that as things complexify necessarily so they complexify and your ministry uh, in you know in enlarges and all those sorts of things how do you keep your sort of finger on on the pulse of of um yeah, of real pastoral ministry, I guess I should say. You know, the, what you're talking about is really where this book came from, mm-hmm. is the mm-hmm. struggle to do that and understanding that, um, that that is really what the call is. So I need to, I need to build my, you know, uh, philosophy of ministry, my practice around that. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't tell you how many People have, you know, we have an attendance over the last, you know, however many months. I'll, I look at that once in a while, but I, I go out of my way to not uh, to not look at that um, because I don't, you know, I, I need to stay. I need to stay focused on one at a time. And that can be distracting. You know, you and I are are um, talking here over video Skype. And, you know, if you can see behind me, I have uh, different pictures. Uh, you know, those are are. Each of those are one story at a time of different people. If you walk out of here into the conference room, it's a wall covered with different, you know, pictures with little stories next to it. And so trying to to keep that the focus and to be let that be what we celebrate. Um, and, you know, that loop 15 of, um, you know, this is what causes heaven to rejoice. Let That's what I want what what's what I want my heart to rejoice in. And and so letting that be what drives us as a as a as a staff and drives me as a pastor um is 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 why I is really why I wrote this book because it's just very easy to um to go the other direction with it. Yeah, I mean one of the things I appreciate about the book is how it it it's at, it's so at odds with or it doesn't offer a kind of silver bullet or you know, a simple discipleship hack, <laughs> some kind. Yeah. Um, because discipleship is so inefficient, isn't it? I mean, it, it's so often. It, oh, that's such a great line, Jared. <laughs> it, it, it frustrates. Discipleship is so inefficient. <laughs> it, it, well, I, you know, I used to think when I, you know, when I started thinking about discipleship, just as a young man trying to be a disciple, I just, I would get so frustrated because I just think it's supposed to be this upward, you know, constantly upward trajectory. And I just thought there's so mm-hmm. many switchbacks in my life. There's so many, I'm in the valley. And so I, I do think you're kind of a, you're ascending, but as you ascend, you're kind of circling and there's lots of valleys you end up in and lots of switchbacks you end up on. And, and then of course, being in pastoral ministry, you just, when you're, you're talking to the same people about the same problem on, yes. in, mon- in month eight, as you were in, in, in month one or year eight, as you were in year one. And you realize so much of it just frustrates our ideas of expediency and comfortability and productivity and those sorts of things. So tell us about um, why thinking in terms of, of like a spiritual life hack is, is so at odds often with the way of Jesus. Um, you know, you know I, I think at the heart of that approach is I'm going to fix this person. Mm. And uh, discipleship is not fixing someone, right? You know, uh, and I feel sometimes like I would be good at that. Like, okay, let's, let's have a, a meeting and you know, here are the three or four things you need to do differently and let me know how that's going. And, you, you know, that uh, uh, approach can 
uh, feel much, to use your word, that can feel much more efficient. Uh, but but that is not you know the discipleship way. That's not the uh, you know the rabbinical approach that Jesus certainly had with his disciples. And um, and and the reality is that there's no substitute for that time that he spends. There's um, one of the ways that I I kind of check my um, self in this is by seeing who I'm I'm praying for. Um, you know, if I'm, you know, if I'm praying for people, um, then I, I lets me know that I'm on the the right path instead of kind of thinking of it as, uh, you know, a life hack approach where, you know, how many people can I meet with to, you know, try to fix them, but to pray for them on their journey. And, um, uh, so, so I, I, I have to really fight against that instinct in me to, to fix to see my role or my call as fixing people, um, that that's not what, you know, discipleship is. Um, and, you know, connecting them to the vine, connecting them to Jesus and walking with them. And that is often, you know, messy and time consuming. And, um, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't always bear fruit very quickly. Um, but, you know, I would say one of the great joys of being a pastor at the same place over a period of time is you get to see the, um, you know, maybe not the efficiency, but the effectiveness yes. of doing that. And, um, and then how that m- multiplies itself. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Um, give us a takeaway. So how can somebody start? Somebody's listening think, okay, one at a time. Uh, maybe they're not a pastor. Maybe they're, um, you know, the, uh, lay leader, Christian, uh, you know, church member. And they're thinking, all right, this is actually, it seems manageable. We just talked about how discipleship is not efficient and all that sort of thing. But the idea of, okay, one at a time, that actually seems practical. How do I start? Where do I begin? Yeah. Well, I think if I can take us back to where this conversation started of, you know, praying that God would help you see people the way that he sees people. It's a very simple prayer, but it's one that I believe he will will answer today. Like if you pray that today, he will answer today. He he will help you see someone, you know, through uh, through those eyes. And, and then I think one of the tests for this is is what stories can you tell? Um, and they don't need to be dramatic stories, right? Like they, they don't have to have this um, uh, you know epic. We sometimes feel like the stories have to be epic in nature, but but just the the stories where you have a, a name and a person that God has connected you to, um, uh, that you've had some impact and influence in their lives. Like we should all be able to tell some stories like that. We should all be able to give a few names like that. And, um, and, and so I think that's a good place to start. And then a good test for the one at a time is start with a prayer and then test it with some stories. You know, Jerry, I, one of the things I would love to hear from you is, you know, you're, you're spending a lot of time, you know, writing, teaching, you spend a lot of time, uh, in the classroom and the study. So how do you do this? Like, what's that look like, uh, for you, your calling as a pastor, how, how do you find that alignment? Um, because I think it's hard for me, but I would think that would be even more challenging for someone in your position. Well, I mean, coming out of pastoral ministry to work at the seminary, it was, you know, two of the things that I loved the most about being a pastor. One was preaching, of course, and I get to do that quite a bit, traveling and that sort of thing. Um, but the other was discipleship, and in particular, men's discipleship. 
And so at, at my church, I'm a member at Liberty Baptist Church. Um, I started a residency program for young guys who are training for ministry. It's called the Pastoral Training Center. And okay. they become, I'm not a pastor there, but they become, in a sense, my little flock. And, and my wife adopts the wives, those who are married. And um, I take those guys, and we've now done two sessions of it. And to me, that's just how I'm working out. Like, I, I can't just be the guy who's living in my head all the time. Um, which was my temptation even out when I was in pastoral ministry, but in my last church in particular, well, in the previous one as well. Um, you know, I had a small church plant in Nashville, Tennessee, and then I went to Vermont to pastor a small rural church. And um, it, it was, uh, you couldn't avoid the one at a time, you know. Yeah. Um, there's somebody knocking on your door, there, you know, yeah. all those sorts yeah. of things. And, uh, yeah. and so I didn't, want, I didn't want to lose that. I didn't want to lose, you know, that, well, you know, even thinking, I don't know if this is selfish or not, but to me, it's a sense of credibility, right? I don't want to be the guy who teaches because he yes. can't do or because he's not doing. I, I have a, a very, you know, real fear of that. I don't want to be, you know, teaching pastoral ministry in seminary and and be out of touch with actual ministry. Um, it's kind of the yeah. cliched seminary <laughs> professor, right? Like, that's a thing. That's actually, <laughs> that's it right? It's, well, I love your example because... Um, it, you, when I talk about, you know, who are the the people, what are the names, like the, the, the guys that are in that group are, are the names, right? Like, yeah. and that informs so much of, I think everything else that, that we do. It, when I write a sermon, I typically will put at the top of that page, you know, two or three people's names that I have in mind as I'm working on that message. And when I have writer's block or I'm not sure what to say, or I feel like I'm focused too much on, um, you know, uh, delivering it in a, in a way that'll be engaging. You know, I just think about, okay, who, what would I want to say to this person? What does this person that I'm, you know, walking with or praying for, I care about what, what, what do they need to hear? And it's amazing how that relationship informs the ministry and then how other people can connect to it so that when you're doing when you're doing the, the with the one at a time way um how it has a much broader impact uh to other people because it's a real person that you're connecting to and walking with man there is so much there i almost wish we had started with that right there's there's something <laughs> about um the uh uh pastoral ministry the the day in day out and the you know yeah the 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 marrow of pastoral ministry that is the the soul of, of good preaching right it's not just you know yes we have the word of god and that's what we're that's what we're preaching the word of god but there's something about the credibility the the character the heart of it is you know these people you're feeding these people um, there's there's something really wonderful about that we've been talking with Kyle Eidelman, pastor of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville Kentucky and author of the new book, One at a Time. It's available now from Baker Books, wherever good books are sold. Kyle, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, brother. Thanks, Jared. Grateful for you, man. And dear listener, if you enjoy the podcast, please, as always, give us a good review. Share us with your friends, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite programs. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.